Good morning, church. Um, I was on my way here this morning, and uh, I realized I forgot my sermon at home. And so I decided to come back, felt that would be important. Um, you know, I, I, I think God is going to do some, continue to do some extraordinary things through our church um, as we kind of head towards the end of 2021, head into 2022. I want to share with you an experience I had uh, last week. I came down to Little Tokyo um, and um, I, I put an obituary, a write-up of my mother who passed away on September 6th. And we put um, an obituary write-up in a newspaper called the Rafu Shimpo. How many of you have ever heard of the Rafu Shimpo? Uh, a few of you. Um, and that is a newspaper that is, uh, was started in 1903. It was the same year that Fugetsudo started, 1903. They're the two oldest businesses in this entire area. Um, a lot of people in the Japanese-American community uh, read that. It comes out maybe about three or so times a week. But I got a private tour of the Rafu. I was a journalism major, and so that was a real thrill. I got to meet the owner, um, a woman named Gwen Komai. She's a third-generation owner of the Rafu. Her grandfather started it, Mr. Komai. And I spoke with her for about a half an hour in her office. I just kind of introduced myself. Turns out that she lives about one mile away from my mom. Turns out that she knew my mom. Turns out that she knew, used to know me as I was a child. She said, I have all these memories of you. I had no idea who she was, right? And so we got to talk uh, about a half an hour. And she said, you know, when your book comes out, when your two books come out in quarter one, we want to feature it in the Rafa Shimpo. And we want you to do a book uh, party here in Little Tokyo. Now, I'm saying that not because, oh, it's my book, how great. I'm saying that because, um, and you know, all of the, 100% of the donations will go to organizations that plant churches or serve the poor in Jesus' name. Uh, but I'm saying that because I believe that God is going to open up some unexpected and extraordinary doors for our church going forward. And you're going to be part of that. That's just one example. And so uh, good things are ahead, you guys. In our series, Life, that we have been going through in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we've been asking the question of how do we know that we have eternal life uh, in Jesus Christ? How do we have assurance that our profession of faith in Jesus Christ has actually led to the eternal life of God in us now and in eternity? How do we know that? What assurances do we have? This is the theme of John uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says that he has written to those of us who have professed faith in the Son of God that we may have the assurance of eternal life. Throughout this series, we've been looking at different assurances that John has been, given, uh, been giving to believers that we can know that we have this eternal life. We've been talking about, uh, as John's been talking about in the first three chapters of 1 John, that if we are placing our confession of faith for our salvation in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that is an assurance that we have the eternal life of God in us. We've been talking about if we find ourselves volitionally obeying the commands of Jesus, that is an assurance of eternal life. We've been talking about how if we find ourselves voluntarily wanting to love Jesus, wanting to love God, wanting to love other believers. John talks about that as an assurance. Uh, John has also been talking about if we find ourselves more wanting to love God and honor God rather than loving the things of the world. He's also been talking about how we, uh, in a world full of antichrists and false teachers in these end times, that we find ourselves abiding in God's truth in the world. And also he's been talking about how we make a commitment as believers to live out a righteous life and not have a life that's marked by sin. These six assurances the Apostle John has been giving to us in 1 John. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to revisit one of these assurances because he's focusing that on that in our next passage. And that is the assurance that we have eternal life if we find ourselves obeying God's commands. We find ourselves obeying God's commands. During this sermon, we're going to focus on two main points as we uh, look at the assurance of obeying God's commands. The first is we're going to ask ourselves the question that uh, is, what are these commands? What are the commands that 
we are volitionally obeying that give us the assurance of eternal life? What are these commands? And secondly, uh, how do we have that assurance that we are following these commands? How do we have that assurance? What kind of um, proofs did God, does God give to us that we are in fact following these commands that give us the assurance of eternal life? So in our passage today, which we're going to draw all that from, let's, um, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 24. This is our next uh, passage as we go verse by verse through 1 John. Let's all stand together now as we read God's word together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 24. John says this. I'm sorry, verse 19 through 24. Verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Father, We pray knowing that this same Spirit intercedes for us, assuring us that we abide in the life of God as we obey the commands of God, moved to believe in Jesus Christ, moved to love other believers. And so, Lord, may our hearts uh, reassure us, not condemn us during this time, and uh, may we Walk away from this encounter with your word with a greater assurance of the eternal life of God through Jesus Christ in us. And may that bring us joy and peace and um, goodness into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Thank you. So the Apostle John is giving us another assurance. He's actually reinforcing a previous assurance of eternal life when we find ourselves obeying the commands of God. Now let's look at our passage. Actually, what I want to do is I want to skip down in our passage to verse 24. Verse 24a, the first part of verse 24 is really the key to these verses. Verse 24, he said, the first part of it says, whoever keeps his commandments, his being God's commandments, abides in God and God in him. The first part of verse 24 is the key it's the linchpin to understanding this entire passage. He's saying, uh, you could act, the real meaning, the actual meaning of what he's saying, you could actually almost read it backwards. He's saying, if you abide in God and God abides in you, you'll keep his commandments. That's the actual essence of what he's saying. He's not saying if you obey his commandments that God will give you life. He's saying, if God's life is in you and God is in you and you are in God, then you will end up keeping his commandments. That's the real theological meaning Uh, verse 24, part A. And so that is really the key of our interpretation of our passage. When God says uh, we will keep his commandments and we will abide in him in verse 24, verse A, that word abide comes from the Greek word meno, meno. Meno meant to dwell, to remain. And so John is saying in verse 24, part A, if you keep his commandments, you can know that you are abiding, you are dwelling, you are remaining in the life of God. This is something that John is actually reiterating. When you go back to John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, he says something very similar to our passage. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, he said to us earlier on, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Very similar to our passage. And so in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24a, the Apostle John is really raising the issue of God's authority. God's authority in our lives. God's authority to expect, to encourage, to demand for us to obey his commands. He's he's talking about who has the authority to give us commands. Uh, Are you embracing God's authority in your life this morning? Do you desire to obey his commands? This is very different. This is, you know, you know, David was up here praying a few moments ago, and he's talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says we are to submit ourselves by the mercy of God to um, our entire selves in an act of worship. And then it says in verse 2 that we are not to conform to the world, but rather seek the good and pleasing and acceptable will of God. And just as David prayed a few moments ago, there is a contrast between believers and and the commands that the believers listen to, the authority that the believers listen to, and the authority of the world. Are you embracing God's authority over your life? Are you embracing his commands? These are not uh, just encouragements. They're not just principles. They're not just suggestions. They're not just guidelines. These are actual commands. And one of the things that distinguishes a believer from the world is our relationship to authority. Who has the right to demand that you obey their commands? Who do you submit to to obey uh, their commands? The world has a very different relationship to authority. Uh, We listen to our public officials, and not all of them, but there's enough of them that say things, one thing, and change in the next moment. They say, uh, well, you know, I'll say something, but when the facts change, I change. And so we really can't trust a lot of the authority that comes from the world. Because you know what? When the facts change, I change. And so whenever I choose to look at the facts differently, then I change. There's a saying in the field of law. I remember when I was in high school, I was on the mock trial team and speech and debate team. And we had a a district attorney come in and he said, here's the rule that lawyers are given. And it goes like this. When the law is against you, argue the facts. When the facts are against you, argue the law. When the law and the facts are against you, just argue. And there's this sense of things just change. The arguments change. Uh, You look in the stock market today and there's all these analysts out there and say, oh, I'm bullish on the stock market until I'm bearish. They can be bullish one day, they can be bearish the next, and they go, well, it's just the charts. I, I flip between back and forth. The world has a very different position of authority. The facts change. We just argue the law, the facts, or we just argue. Uh, We flip. The world does not like authority. We are living in a time in the 21st century where we don't like centralized authority. We don't like institutional authority. We like open systems, not closed systems. When we think about our, our relationship to the authority of the government, when we think about our relationship with the, to the uh, public school system, when we think about our relationship to the uh, 20th century analog uh, monetary system, when we think about our relationship to organized religion, we don't like authority. We don't like top-down authority. The only time we really like institutions, the only time we really like authority is when we feel it empowers us to make our own decisions. And yet, as a Christian, we see in verse 24a, 
Whoever keeps his, God's commandments, abides in God. This is how we live differently as Christians. In a world that is anti-authority, anti-institutional, anti-top-down, anti-open-closed system, we as Christians say no. We want to obey authority from God. We choose to obey his commands, his centralized, top-down commands. See, as a Christian, we have a different relationship to authority. We submit to God's authority. We find life in his commands. We recognize that God has the right to require our obedience. He has the right to require our obedience. Do you believe that? Do you believe uh, John has been saying this when you go back decades earlier when he wrote the Gospel of John, decades before he wrote 1 John. He wrote in 1 John chapter 1 that God created all things. All things were created through him. God is creator. He has the right to command us. He is the creator. He says in 1 John chapter 1 a few weeks ago that uh, God is the source of eternal life. He has the right to command our obedience. He said earlier on in 1 John chapter 3 that he is the one who will return. God is the creator. All things are made through him. He is the source of eternal life. He is the one who will return. And that is why in verse 24a, he's the one that gets to command us. When you're the creator, when you are the source of life, when you are the one who returned to make all things right, you have the right to issue your commands. And so, what are these commands? What are these commands that we're to obey? If you go a verse before verse 24 and look at verse 23, these are the commands. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. This is the command. It's a two-part command. To believe in Jesus Christ, one, and two, to love one another. That phrase, one another, as you remember in the, in the Greek, alalon. One another has to do primarily theologically with who? One believer to another believer. These are the two commandments. It's like love God, love others, like the great commandment. To believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love other believers. When it says believe in the Son of God, believe in Jesus Christ. He is saying that we are to trust the person of Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is saying we are to submit to the person of Jesus Christ as Lord. He is saying we are to conform to the character of Jesus Christ. You notice that he doesn't say that we are to... Um, Submit, we are to believe in ourselves. He says we are to believe in Jesus Christ. And he says we are to love one another. He's not, he doesn't say we are to love nature. He doesn't say we are to love spiritual energy within us. He doesn't say we are to love the created things. We are to love one another, other believers. And so in verse 24, all right, so we've looked at what is the command. We are, who has the right to give us our commands in verse 24a? What are these commands to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love one another? Now, when you go to the second part of verse 24, this is very important. To the second part of verse 24, part B, he says, by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Now follow me on this one. True believers are those who obey God's commands. 
And those commands are to believe in the Son of Jesus Christ and to love other believers. Now, how are we assured that we are doing those two things? How are we assured that we're believing in the Son of God? How are we assured that we're actually loving other believers? In verse 24b, it is because he has given us the Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. This is the difference between Christianity and secular humanism. The difference between Christianity and other religions and the difference between Christianity and secular humanism is that other religions will say, believe in this moral code or believe in yourself. Secular humanism basically says, believe in yourself. Other religions say, believe in this moral code or something that some other person wrote. It is within Christianity that you find a theology of the Holy Spirit. What happens that is different as a Christian is that when you choose to believe and place your faith in Jesus Christ, God sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. God now lives inside of you to empower you. Now, there are many ministries of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings you to salvation, it says in Scripture. He convicts us of sin. He judges us. He reminds us of what Jesus has said. He intercedes for us to God when we pray. The Holy Spirit cleanses us of sin. He gives us spiritual gifting. He produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All of these things the Holy Spirit does. But in our passage, we're going to look at two things that the Holy Spirit does, whom he has given to us, verse 24b, and in the rest of our passage, that we can know that we are assured that we have the eternal life of God in us. And so what are those two things? The Holy Spirit works in our life, John is saying, to number one, to both reassure us or to condemn our hearts. To reassure us or to condemn our hearts hearts through our conscience. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that if we are believing Jesus Christ, if we're loving other believers, how do we know that we're doing that? Well, we have the Spirit. How does the Spirit work in us? John is saying the first way is that the Spirit works through your conscience to either reassure you or to condemn you. This is what he says in verse 19 through 21. Let's look at the beginning of our passage. In verse 19 through 21, This is, he's going to reassure and condemn our hearts. Verse 19, by this we shall know, this is the work of the Spirit, that we are of the truth. The truth here is the truth of the Word of God. And reassure our heart before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows everything. Let's stop there. John is saying in verse 19 and verse 20, he's saying one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to you, to reassure you of eternal life, is you have a subjective experience of the Spirit to either reassure you that you are believing in Jesus and loving other believers, or you will have, the Holy Spirit will condemn you. Not condemn you in terms of eternal life. There's no condemnation in, in Christ, Romans chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 but condemn you in terms of making you feel guilty. The issue here is salvation. The conscience that the Holy Spirit works through is something that either reassures you or condemns you. Every believer is given uh, in their natural state. We are created by God with certain uh, kind of spiritual DNA. We're created in the image of God. We have eternity set in our hearts, a longing for God. And one of the things that God also gives to us, in addition to being made in his image and having eternity set in our hearts, is he gives us a conscience. What is the conscience? It is something that God works in your life to reassure or condemn you. The conscience is a God-given spiritual warning system. 
that he gives to every human being in their natural spiritual state. The conscience, think about it as a smoke alarm. Every human being has a spiritual smoke alarm built into their soul called the conscience. Now, what is a smoke alarm? A smoke alarm is only there uh, to reassure you or to warn you, right? It reassures you when it's not going off. And when it's going off, you immediately pay attention to it. But the primary function of a smoke alarm is to warn. But in a smoke alarm, it is only as functional, follow me on this, you guys, it is only as functional as the power of its batteries. If you have bad batteries in the conscience, in the smoke alarm, it won't work properly. If you have good batteries, it will. And that's how the conscience works. The conscience only works properly as it is biblically informed by the spiritual batteries. If the spiritual batteries of its biblical um, truth that the conscience is based on are not working properly, the conscience will not work properly. That is why you can have someone go into a school and just blow people away and say, well, God told me. Well, they were listening to their conscience. I mean, they, they felt convicted if they didn't do it, but their conscience batteries were dead because they were not biblically informed. Okay, so the conscience only works as well as it is biblically informed, but it's there to warn us or to reassure us in our passage if we're believing in Jesus and loving his people. Scripture goes on to say, Paul says that the conscience can be defiled by sin. It can be wounded by sin. It can be seared beyond, uh, so that it doesn't work anymore. It can be weakened. You're here this morning, and one of the questions you need to ask is, if I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am saying that I believe in the Son of God, and I am saying that I love other believers. I love the church. If that is my testimony, that I believe and I love, then is my conscience assuring me of that or condemning me of that? Okay, now, it's not saying, do you believe perfectly? It's not saying, do you love perfectly? But as you, I want you to stop and I want you to think, is your primary belief, your primary profession of faith that you believe in Jesus for your salvation? That you believe in Jesus as Lord over your life to command you? Is that your primary profession of faith? Or is your primary profession of faith that I am my Savior, I am my Lord, or someone else? And if you can say your primary profession of faith is the salvation and lordship of Jesus, then your conscience should assure you. You should feel at peace about that. If you're here and you say you love other believers, do you see evidence of that in your life? Do you see a a desire to be in community with God's people, to love them, to be drawn to them, and if you can generally say this, yeah, we don't love perfectly. Sometimes people annoy us in the church. I, you probably annoyed at me at times, right? That's okay, because I find some of you annoying. That's okay. So we all love it together, right? We all love together. Uh, but can we generally love each other? And if you are, find yourself drawn to love the fellowship, the body of Christ, then your conscience should assure you. It's a dangerous place to be when you call yourself a Christian, as so many people do today, and find yourselves believing in Jesus for one part of your life and other gods for another. It's a dangerous thing to be as a Christian, to call yourself a Christian and say, yes, I, I, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I care about the church, but I'm never in community with the church. And I, uh, your conscience will start to condemn you of that. And that is why it's so important. It's so important to be here on Communion Sundays. Next Sunday is Communion Sunday. We, we uh, celebrate the Lord's table on the first 
Sunday of the month. There's no, really no command in Scripture that says you need to do this at any particular time with any particular frequency. We've been doing it once a month. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to be here for communion. Because that is a structured moment where we come together as the body of Christ and we say, Lord, we remember, we remember our need for you to cleanse us of our sin, for you to sanctify us of our sin. Why is that important to you? One of the reasons why is because it cleanses and purifies your conscience. See, when we don't confess and turn from sin, what happens to the conscience is that in verse 19, um, we're not reassured. Our hearts condemn us through our conscience. And what happens when we don't confess is the Bible says in, in, um, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, that the Holy Spirit, the spirit that he's talking about in verse 24, starts to get grieved. Ephesians. The Holy Spirit starts to get quenched. The book of 1 Thessalonians. And that spirit inside of us is grieved and he's quenched by our sin. And one of the outcomes of that, when we don't confess sin and turn from it, is you think about these layers of clay that keep getting added on and hardened. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life. Yes, you might be saved, but he's not working in your life for the sanctification because that sin that's unconfessed and unrepentant is, keeps getting caked on and dried and layer upon layer. And the Holy Spirit, it's very difficult for him to work in our life. And all of a sudden, our conscience doesn't work properly. Have you been around people whose consciences do not function properly? Do you know what it's like to be around? I have. I've been around people who are unbelievers as well as believers. I've been around people who are unbelievers that have, I've experienced some of the greatest hatred towards me for doing what I felt the Lord wanted. I've been around believers who have expressed some of the greatest hatred towards me for doing what I felt the Lord wanted. And what you discover is that when the conscience is grieved, uh, the, the, the spirit is grieved, the spirit is quenched, what you discover is when the conscience no longer works because it is now weakened and defiled and wounded and seared, that person who is an unbeliever is under the full control of the flesh. There, nothing, no conscience to restrain them. That believer that has all of that sin that's unconfessed and the Holy Spirit is not able to, to work in their life in the way he's supposed to can act just like an unbeliever, even though they're a believer. Why? It's because their conscience is no longer functioning the way it's supposed to. And so... But John's main point here is that a salvation point. He's wanting to remind us, is our heart assuring us? Or, you know, I, there, there's a person um, in our Cerrito service uh, a month or two ago. He's been listening to this, this series, and he, he came up to one of us and said, you know, I, I've been going to church for, I don't know, maybe a decade or so. And, he, and they were saying, I, I'm just questioning whether I'm really saved. And see, what, what the Spirit was doing in their life was, as they were hearing the Word of God, the Spirit was starting to, in the words of verse 20, condemn, have his, hearts condemn, his heart started condemning him. Now, either he, his heart was condemning him because he's not truly a believer, or his heart is condemning him because his conscience is not working properly. The Holy Spirit is not at work to assure him for whatever reason in his life. So very important, okay? We are to obey his commands. Those of us who find life obey his commands. Verse 24. What are his commands? Verse 23. 
that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. Verse 24. Now, how do we know that? The Holy Spirit is at work in us in two ways. Number one, are our hearts reassuring us or condemning us? We looked at that in verse 19 and 20. Uh, actually, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Should have read that earlier. And so if your heart's not condemning you, then you do have confidence of your salvation. And lastly for today, what is another work of the Holy Spirit to reassure us of our salvation? It's not only when our hearts don't condemn us through the Spirit, but secondly, when we find that our prayers are being answered. Our prayer, what type of prayers? Our prayers to believe in Jesus and to love other believers. In verse 22 in our passage, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and do what he pleases. What are his commands that we keep? Believing in the Son, Jesus Christ, loving one another. And so he says again in verse 22, If we ask according to these commands that we believe in Jesus and love one another, we will receive it. This is very similar, almost word for word, with, with, with what John wrote earlier. If you turn with me to John chapter 14 in the upper room, Jesus said uh, some 50, 60 years before First John was written, in the upper room in John chapter 14, uh, this is the night before he goes to the cross. In John chapter 14, verse 13 through 15, John says this, uh, Jesus says this. Chapter 14, verse 13 and following. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see some of the same themes there. The commandments to, um, to ask in his name, to love him, to love Jesus. If you go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, which we'll get to in, a, uh, I don't know, about a month or so. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, He says this, uh, actually verse 14. He says in chapter 5, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask, have asked of him. Very similar. God will answer your prayers and you will receive what you ask of God in prayer if you pray along these two lines. God, help me to believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help me to believe in Him for my salvation. Help me to believe in Him for my sanctification. Help me to believe in Him for my glorification. Help me to believe, Lord. Help me to trust him. God will always answer that prayer. You will receive perfectly what God wants to give you. And the second type of prayer that God will always answer and you will receive is God, help me to love. Help me to love the body of Christ. Help me to love other believers. You want prayers that are answered? You want to receive the answer to prayers? That is a guarantee from God. See, not every prayer, God is going to answer you in the affirmative. God does not make any promises to heal you physically. He doesn't make any promises that your prayers for your unbelieving friend, co-worker, family member, that they'll actually come to faith. There's no guarantee of that. We were out here t last night um, on the prayer walk haunted little tokyo we were at the weller court last night and um you know we just we were in the middle of the courtyard and there was two security guards there um we just went up to one and said hey you know what we're a church 
Uh, we want to just stand in the middle of this courtyard. We want to sing one praise song. Is that okay with you? And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we just, me, Kyle, and James were standing there in the middle of that courtyard, and we were singing uh, 10,000 Reasons or Our God, one of those two songs. And we were, we were just praising the Lord, right? Light in the darkness. And there's these cosplay, um, you know, anime uh, people dressed up as, as these characters just, you know, watching us. And um, afterwards, we went up to one of the guards. I think his name was Alfred or so. And uh, we said, hey, Alfred, thank you for letting us do this. Um, can, you know, can we pray for you? Can we just pray for you right now? You don't have to close your eyes. I know you're doing your job in front of uh, uh, Madukai Market. And he's like, yeah. And he started sharing about his, you know, right leg. Uh, he has a pinched sciatic nerve. And he had to get a shot from the doctor. And he just really started opening up to us. Now, I wish I could tell you that we prayed for him, and all of a sudden, he was miraculously healed. No pain, and that he came to repentance in God. I wish I could tell you that, right? That, that's like Book of Acts stuff, right? Um, but we did pray for him, and we did pray for healing for him, and we did say, Lord, may um, Alfred know that uh, you are real in his life, that you care for him. May he know that if you choose to do a miraculous healing of his right leg and cure him of his pinched nerve, that that has solely been done through the healing power of God, and may he praise you and submit his life to you. We prayed that over him. Now, I don't know that God is going to heal him physically. It was the right thing to pray for him. But there are some prayers that we pray for healing that may get answered, but some don't. There's another man that we were in Weller Court, a man named Arthur. And um, I've seen Arthur, you know, maybe you've seen him in the Japanese Village Plaza. He's in a wheelchair. He has his own one-man band, right? Uh, he's been playing in Little Tokyo. I, I, I've seen him since like the 1990s down here playing. You know, he, he's been down here all the time. He's old. Uh, he looks like he's in his 80s, right? So we're just walking by, leaving Weller Court. And we say, hey, uh, Arthur... I've seen you here for like 30 years, okay? Um, thank you for just blessing people with your music. And uh, he said, thank you. And, you know, his, his thumbs were contorted and his hands were. And uh, it looked very much like my mom's left hand before she died. Uh, that was rheumatoid arthritis that she had for years. And her hand was all contorted because of it. Um, and so I just kind of assumed it was the same. He said it was actually because he broke his back. And so he just started talking and said, hey, can we just pray for you, Arthur? Can we pray for you right now? And uh, he said, yeah, I, I know Jesus Christ. I don't go to church, etc." And so we just prayed for his salvation. We prayed for his salvation. We, we prayed that the Lord would heal him. Now, that was a compassionate act of prayer. We prayed for his salvation like we did for Alfred. We don't know if they're going to come to true faith if they're not believers already. We don't know if the Lord will heal them physically. There are certain prayers that we pray that we should because it shows the compassion of the Lord. But what type, these types of prayers that John is reminding us, if you find yourself saying, Lord, help me to believe in Jesus. Help me, God. I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm beaten down. I'm crushed but not despairing. Help me to believe, Lord. Increase my faith. Any of you here meaning to pray that prayer? I know that I have many times over the past few years. You know, we're all human. And, uh, and, and some of you, you beat yourself up a lot when you fall short. Oh, God, you know, why? You know, I'm so stupid. Why am I like that? I don't deserve to live. You know. and, uh, it, and there's a part of it where if that's coming from a good conviction of our waywardness, that can be a good thing. But I want you to hear this. I think for some of you, what you also need to hear is not, oh, man, I blew it again. God, I'm just so lame. But I think you also need to hear, God understands. He understands. If you didn't need Jesus, and not just for salvation, but if you didn't need him on a daily basis, there's no need to pray. There's no need to have faith. 
There's no need to follow him. The reason why we depend on Jesus and the Holy Spirit is because God expects us to fail. We probably fail a lot more than we even realize or want to acknowledge, to be honest. And so I would say this, and I want you to take this in the right spirit in which I'm saying this. I am not saying that sin does not matter. I'm not saying repentance does not matter. I'm not saying that uh, don't, you know, don't pay attention to your conscience when it, doesn't, when it bothers you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, but I'm also saying this. Some of you need to cut yourself a little bit of slack. And it's not that you have the theological power to give yourself grace. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is you need to say, you know what? This is not me. It's not me. That's the old me, okay? This is not me, the new me in Christ. I know that. Who who I just was, that's not me. I'm a saint now. I'm not a sinner. And you need to say, Lord, I'm weak. I need the faith. Increase my faith. Help me in my weakness, God. I need to depend upon you because this is just another reminder to me of what I look like normally. How many of you need to pray that? Say, Lord, uh, help me to believe Jesus. Help me in my unbelief. And how many of us need to pray and just um, say, Lord, help me to love the body. Because when I'm loving the body of Christ, what I'm really doing is I'm loving you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when, follow me on this, when you are in fellowship with the church, when you are serving the body of Christ, when you are encouraging, praying, sacrificing, when you are honoring the body of Christ, do you believe that when you are doing that, you are not just following the command to love one another, although you are. You are actually showing love towards the Lord. You are showing love towards the Lord, not just because you are choosing to obey his commands, which is enough, but you are showing love to the Lord because the Spirit... The Spirit in verse 24, the Spirit by whom he has given us, verse 24, lives in other believers. And as you love other believers, you are loving the Spirit, and the Spirit sanctifies you. You can't do that if you're not here. You can't love the body of Christ if you're absent. And we say absent, we're not talking about like if you miss a Sunday here and there. That's not what we're talking about. If you're part of a church and if you call yourself a believer, do people know you? Do you know them? It's like we said last week. We don't want to be church attenders and we don't want to be church tourists. Okay, We want to be in a place where others have a testimony about you. Saying, yeah, you know what, Jessica, David, Keani, Matt, Alexis. Man, I just, I just love that person. I just love you know, who they are and, 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 and do you see how they treat people? Do, you have that test- do others have that testimony about you? Do you have a testimony about others? You know, I, I, I should be able to go to each one of you and say, tell me a testimony about someone else here, about how you have seen them love others. Just on the spot. should come right off your, you know, your lips. I should go to any one of you and be able to say, hey, you know what, Garen? I want you to just, on the spot, tell me about Peter. You know, tell me about Anita. Tell me about uh, an act of love that you've seen them do. That's what he means of loving one another. It's not just do I think, do I attend, do I, am I church tourist? Do other people have a testimony about you? Do you have a testimony about others? 
And so um, if you do, if you do, and we find ourselves believing in the Son of God and loving one another, the good news is that God abides in you. You are following the two most important commands and that you can have assurance that the eternal life of God through Jesus Christ lives in you, not just in eternity, but now. And that is the most important thing for you to hear, that Jesus Christ's life lives in you now. All right, let's pray together. Father, as we close our service, as we close in worship, uh, may we who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ have the assurance of your life and see your life. May we believe in Jesus. Help our unbelief. Meet us in the weak and broken places of our trials and our testings, of our failures. Help us to turn to you, God, to have the belief that we lack, because there is great hope in you. There was always hope. Some of us might be here today, and we have lost hope, but there is always hope in you. May we never forget that. May we love May this church be a place where when people enter into it, they do not have to be a Hollywood superstar before they are embraced. May this church be a place where we love well, even those that are different than us, even those that we find annoying, because we are truly loving you in that moment as you have loved us. We experience your love through that, Lord. So, Lord, May we come away from this time not having hearts that are condemning us, but assuring us of our profession of faith of life in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand for worship.